In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. Expect lots of smart, dope skate people musing about life on and off eight wheels and silliness. Can't forget the silliness that you never knew you needed and won't be able to live without. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. y'all what's up so somehow it is december yeah i know i don't know what happened or how it happened either and yet i for one want to say it has been a year personally i increasingly feel the same way about the years as i do about the cyclone roller coaster ride at coney island when I ride it, I know it's going to be a blur, breakneck, whiplash threatening even. And when I walk out of the exit, that feeling of relief mixed with accomplishment set in. This episode and the next, a Spanish language interview with Satan, a Colombian who began skating with the Bogota Bonebreakers and is now a River City roller in Richmond, Virginia. And hopefully others stay tuned, surveys the last 12 months through individual stories in the skate world. Felicia Fee Wright was one of the three skaters who figured prominently in 2018's United Skates documentary, a film about the historical and cultural significance of roller skating rinks to the African-American experience throughout the United States. The film had a limited cinematic release in the fall of 2018 before being aired on HBO in February of 2019, where it still is accessible. The film was so meaningful to me. And as soon as I knew that I'd be making this podcast, I knew I wanted to speak to someone involved in it about its making, reception, and impact. Fee, who aside from being an OG skater and skate event organizer, is a singer, a mom, a grandmother, and wears a slew of other hats, was kind enough to make some time in that oh-so-busy schedule of hers. But first, my chat with Philly Roller Derby blocker Little Loca about the Pennsylvania team's meteoric rise in the Woofdada rankings from 24th place last November to its current 8th place standing in the world and its ticket to champs after five years. Loka recounts how Philly got its groove back, what insights she's gleaned after 10 seasons of roller derby play, and how one survives juggling a 70-hour-a-week nursing school program, postseason-bound charter team schedule, and a concussion that sidelined her right before playoffs. So now you see what I'm talking about. It has been a year. Let's go. 
Okay, little loca. Congratulations on a stellar season, a stellar freaking season and a stellar performance at Montreal. (laughs) Does it feel real? Have you like had um, like time to digest everything? I feel like when we were sitting watching, I think games on Saturday, it was like, oh my gosh, we are here too. Like we're not we didn't just come to watch some games like we did this and we're off today and like we're watching games at the tournament that we're playing in so it's like cool to have that moment be like whoa it's real you're with philly prd if you want to let's start off with your origin story as i like to say okay um i started playing with long island roller rebels in 2010 i knew i had wanted to start roller derby and i had gone to like a couple of the basic training things when gotham had them and they were like really cheap to go to and so i did a couple of those and then i moved to long island and i really didn't have any friends and i didn't know anyone in the area and so i figured this would be a nice way to like make friends and kind of stay active and get into, you know, I thought it would be perfect to kind of bridge the gap between what I was had going on. So I tried out and I started skating in 2010. The following year, I moved to Queens and my roommate and I both transferred to suburbia. So I played for suburbia for a few years. Um, We went to playoffs two years in a row. It was a really good time for G2. Uh, We actually went to the first D2 playoffs ever in Kalamazoo. And then I transferred to Philly in 2015. So I did, I think, two or three seasons. And then I moved up to Boston for a little bit. I played with Boston when they won their first Division II championship in Pittsburgh. And I actually got a tournament MVP, which was cool. And then, yeah. (laughs) And then I moved back to Philly and I did, uh, did the last two seasons here in Philly. So... It's been nine full seasons. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> and so, like, how, first of all, how'd you hear about Derby? I had a friend whose sister played, and he was like, oh, you got to come out and see my sister play roller derby. And I went to one of the games, and I saw her, and I was like, I want to do this, but I never want to play against her because she's terrifying. Like, I want to be on her team because she's so scary. And uh, that was in Morristown, New Jersey, and that's where I saw roller derby for the first time. And that's kind of where, like, I started like I got a pair of skates I started skating in my driveway I started going to the roller rink and then I did like a couple boot camps and stuff were so you athletic a as a child like, hey. um I I did more like individual kind of sports so I did I ran track and cross country in high school and middle school and I rode horses for like a long um, period of my life from about like six to 21 so that's that's, that's like, long that's, that's amazing do you think that any of it translates to derby or translated into derby for you um that i'm not absolutely sure about i think uh horses like horseback riding did did give me a lot of idea about a partnership because you're not just by yourself you have an animal and knowing that you have this like 1500 pound animal with you and that you guys are a team and thinking about that and knowing that you weren't always by yourself that was really helpful so maybe i think i think anything it would just be the idea of knowing that you weren't alone and you had to be accountable for somebody else you mentioned you're in nursing school now so what made you get interested in nursing it kind of had been something that was on the back of my mind for a while and thinking that it would be a really good career like career not just a job not just a gig it would be an actual career for me and i had family that had that I family that are nurses and they always said, oh, you should definitely get into it. You should look into it and try it. And then once I kind of like set on it, I just kind of, I went from there and started doing like prerequisites and I started getting into things that would get me ready for nursing school. So that was about like th- uh, two years ago that I started doing all that. How long is nursing school? Um, like Traditionally, it could take about like four years to get your bachelor's. So, but I had never gone to college before. So I had to start from like basically the ground up <laughs> and take like everything over. So what school? Are you in? Are you in like an online program? 
No, I do. Um, it's a college in New Jersey. It's a regular RN program, which is a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. And the plan is after graduating, I can move on to a four year in a university and complete my bachelor's. Oh, dope. Okay. Yeah. So how are you like, it sounds like you're halfway. Yeah, pretty much now. It's just so long. It's oh. pretty, in- it's like an intensive program. It's uh, 40 hours a week. I'm in school from seven to three 30. Uh, I have clinical days where I'm at a hospital working with patients and three of the rest of the days of the week are theory. So I'm in class and learning uh, kind of from there. So that's, yeah, that's more than a, than a full-time job. It's a lot. It really is. And then trying to do roller derby on top of it is just truly wild. (laughs) I'm sure. So yeah, take me back to the start of this like whirlwind year and you know, everything that is like, I feel like Philly, even though as an OG, because I feel like Philly's been around for quite a bit, it, like mm-hmm. it almost kind of got like a, like a recast as like a Cinderella story this year. Yeah. I mean, it was a long time of being contenders and that really feels nice, but I feel like the game really t- started to take a intensive athletic strategic just a whole new level of intensity and difficulty and i really think that it it really just changed how teams play the game and i really don't think we necessarily adapted very well until like i think we always just were like a day late and a dollar short on a couple different things you know and really taking the time this year to say like, hey, this is what we want to do. We know the work that's going to go into getting that goal. And what's going to be like, it's going to fall into line with getting that. So are we willing to do it? What are we willing to give up to make it happen? Really, where do we need to start? So kind of taking it down, like really breaking everything down and being like, this is what we need to do to be successful and starting from scratch, like from basics up. I can't tell you how many like footwork drills that we do or bridging drills that we do. And it's not like we make this crazy, super sneaky strategy and or anything. We don't have a crazy play. We don't have like a Philly special or anything like that, but we have our own little basics that really get the word. And they, I mean, it's shocking how much the basics have helped us. And that really was the big, the big thing, the buy-in to be there and to go to these tournaments and to attend practice and work together, the buy-in that it wasn't always going to be the most super exciting practices. And sometimes they were going to feel a little repetitive, but we were really spending the time to like drill in the most simplest of the most simple of concepts, which I think really paid off for us in the end. So it sounds like it was more about the content of your program rather than any sort of like habit or like, you know, like, or like scheduling sort of change. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it was more about the, the skills themselves rather than the process or like the. Yeah. And it was taking, it was taking times that we had like the three, two and a half hours, three hours that we have for practice and making the most of those three hours. It's not like we didn't even add an additional practice day. And to be honest, we practice as a travel team only as a travel team one day a week. So we took those two and a half hours and then turned into three hours and really squeezed a lot into those three hours where some of it had maybe been like standing around or talking like deep diving a little too much or really nitpicking. But it came from having different committees outside of practice to make those practices focused. So when we go into practice, we know why we're doing something. We know the reasons behind it. We can fully explain them to other people people and 
it's not that we're standing and kind of wondering and looking at each other what to do. We really broke it down beforehand and throughout and like planned ahead mm-hmm. so that there was no lag time. It was not like everyone standing around having a talk or being like, I wonder if that this could work or this could work or that could work. It, it was always decided. So it's like the preparation, the preparation yeah. pieces there. Just yes. like the preparation for the preparation. <laughs> like- exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like that, when you really think about how much like when you really put in that time to be like, this is what the practice structure is going to be like, there's not time for questions or being like, well, what if we do this? Or what if we do this? We kind of answered all the questions. But also I got to think that like it helped that the charter was comprised of like so many vets and so many OGs, like some, so many people like yourself, like Teflon mm-hmm. Donna and Diva and, you know, Frankie who, and I, I'm sure I'm missing a, a ton of other people, but people who have just like been there for like almost decades, right? Like, yeah, no one had to yeah. kind of start from 101. Like everyone is kind of, you kind of all had to get on the same page, but you didn't have to like open the book. The book was already open and like yeah, exactly. <laughs> chapters and chapters and had been written <laughs> yeah and like maybe we needed to read them together I think mm. is the big thing like when everyone's like oh okay this is how we do this as a unit mm-hmm. not just like you have this style and you have this style and that's they're celebrated and appreciated but really thinking about how to make everyone everyone's special skills bringing them to the table and making them valued and making them highlighting them without really like keeping everyone like stifling them mm. but also at the same time building into the total cohesion of, when did all I of this begin and well, really in like I mean there's talking like we already had started talking about things in December of 2008 so we started in 2018 in December kind of like talking about what we wanted to do and really what we were planning on doing and then once we didn't start skating again I don't think the travel team was formed until about February last year and we didn't like we really started like once it like those practices started happening we were just taken off from there everyone was bought in and everyone knew this was going to be a really big season and that was really nice because it helped people to get on board and then really stay on board. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's it's cool because I feel like everyone is kind of riding that wave now where, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's kind of like making their New Year resolutions for Derby and yeah. to really and, and are really like, inspired and motivated, but kind of lose that momentum. How did y'all avoid that? I really think like making everyone like calling in and being like, hey, we have like different committees for everything on our travel team. Like we have a training committee, a fundraising committee, a pair committee footage or strategy committee like off skates committee like having something for everyone to be involved in and everyone is an active part of the team I think really helps Mm -hmm. and it's not just like okay four people do the work and then everybody else just kind of skates like just comes and skates like no everybody's an active volunteer and everyone's working to make this team something that's so I think like instilling that like yeah the buy-in like you you are part of this you make this happen and no matter what role you play on the team like you are valuable and thinking about that, I think is helpful. But it like really is exciting to see people talk about like, oh, this is what I want to do in 2020. <laughs> it's like, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's really ideally what you want. You want to ride the crest mm-hmm. of like this last derby season and see. And I feel like y'all's accomplishments are a big reason that we're going to see a lot of teams dream big next season. All that you are able to accomplish along with like a team like Dos Por Cuatro is going to be like, dude, they had it. We we got it in us too. You yeah. know that's gonna mm-hmm. be. When awesome. Dylan said that thing about how Philly came from twenty three or twenty four to champs, like if we can do it, anyone can do it. It's totally true. And it's like, real. Yeah. It's just it's not like yeah. You know we did get transfers coming in that are super talented. You know, but it. Uh, we've seen other teams get transfers that are incredibly talented, and they still can't make it happen. You know, it's not about the skaters; it's about the team, and it's about the buy-in. And it's not just one person isn't going to make a team champs level. You know, 
or hydro, like it's just not going to happen that way. It'd be cool, but it's just, it's one person does not a team make. So just remembering that like everyone is a part of it and making sure everyone feels like they're a part of it and valued, I think is going to be much better off than being like, oh, well, we have so-and-so now, so we're good. You know, it is really good to get that fresh energy and that fresh blood or that, you know, that, that really experienced sort of energy, Mm -hmm. but it could only take you so far, right? Like exactly. It's what you do. It's what you do with it. Big time. You know? Yeah. That's what that was huge for us. In terms of your entry, you had already been in back at Derby, uh, back at Derby, back at Philly for one season, what mm-hmm. do you feel? I mean, I, I guess you kind of already maybe have answered this question, but did you feel the, the difference in the air this coming into last season? What felt for oh, like, yeah. you as a skater personally, <laughs> like what inspired you or what did you experience? I really took a lot from what built like feeding off of my teammates and how everyone wanted to be there. And before I feel like it had gotten, things could be a little chippy sometimes. Mm. And there was like some feelings sometimes, but this season didn't feel that way. It's you got hit. It's because like your teammates want you to be better. It never felt like personal or like an attack or anything like that. It just felt that we were really trying to push each other and like make each other grow in a good, in a positive way. And that's what the big thing that I think was a big difference that everything felt like it was a place of growth, not anything else. You could feel it from the beginning of the season that it was going to be different. Given that you're in school, like more than full time and you're on the A team, Mm -hmm. you're on the charter team of a league. What did you do when you like felt personally as if like you were burning out or, you know, your energies were low? Like, how did you respond to that? Because I'm sure it It came about. I'm sure it must have happened. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I didn't start school until June of this year. And that was, I mean, it was good timing for me in my life. It kind of was something that like I had anticipated starting later this year, but the opportunity came to enroll earlier and I would be silly to put it off. So I started and from the get go, it was pretty difficult, but leading into playoffs was a different story. Um, I actually had a concussion um, right after RollerCon. And it was brutal. And it's not like I personally could not take the time off from school. You know, my program is super intense. And if you miss, I think if you miss like three days, you're out. Three days of classroom, you're out. Because you fall so behind. I, yeah, you fall so far behind. when you're, you're missing three full work days worth of mm-hmm. work. So um, I knew I had to keep going. And I knew I had to keep being at school no matter how horrible I felt. And let me tell you, I felt horrible. I was very, I had horrible post-concussion symptoms and it was hard to, Hmm. I had horrible time concentrating. I couldn't stay on a page. Like I knew my attention span was, had gone like nowhere. I was down to zero. I was so sensitive to light and like the classrooms in a hospital or anything like mimicking hospital are so bright. My, I had visual problems where I was getting dizzy and I had a little bit of vertigo and it was really bad and it was hard to get through school. And I took about, I think I took like almost a month off after that. And I talked to, I spoke with my physician and my physician said, you know, this is up to you. Obviously, like, I don't know that I recommend it returning but you know it's kind of up to you and I don't like just know that if you get hit again you're going to be more susceptible to a second round of this Mm. and yeah that was a big reason why this is a break time for me is because I just can I can't do it right now and not to mention like without concussion aside even having practice till 10 o'clock on a Monday night and going to clinic or having exams I have exams Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. And I don't live in Philly. 
I was going like, to say, I, what's your commute from, like? Yeah, I live, it's an hour and a half. Wow. <laughs> it's an hour and a half for me to get home from practice afterwards. So I did be, you drive? Did you have been, to drive? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the whole other thing, you know? Yeah. So it's not just, I live in town and I have to, you know, it's hard to get to sleep afterwards. Yeah. It's hard to get sleep. And then I have to drive an hour and a half home and be ready at five, get, get up at five 30 and start my day. You know, it's just, it was so much the last few weeks. And sacrifice on top of sacrifice. It really, I mean, Tuesday I was a zombie. I couldn't answer. I, I went right to bed after school and I just didn't, it was it. And it was hard. It was really hard. Even after taking an exam on Tuesday morning, I'd be shot for the rest of the day. So it just, and that's when my head was feeling great. You know, those were on the good days. On the bad days, forget it. I really was like a mess. <laughs> how long after did you feel those symptoms? Like how long did it take you to shake them off? Probably took about two and a half, almost three full weeks. And then I waited until I could, was symptom asymptomatic. Um, I did a half an hour, or I did 15 minute workout, then a 30 minute workout. And then I didn't work out for an hour. And as soon as I felt out, felt okay after the hour, not having any symptoms, then I figured, okay, I'll get back on skates. And then mm-hmm. from there, I kind of built back up my time That's before smart. playoff. Yeah, but I really didn't skate until about maybe two weeks before we went to Seattle, which was really scary. What did you learn about yourself what, go, going through all of this? I think that my ability to endure is something that I didn't really know. I kind of always thought I was a little bit of a baby, <laughs> but really thinking about that I can actually endure a lot. And when like pressed, I don't think I'm necessarily the most organized person or I don't really have a thing, my things together that too much, but I really was forced to have everything in a row and ready to go. So when pressed, I really can get it together. <laughs> so you said your semester start, when did your semester for like end? You said you started in June, right? Yeah, I go, I had a week off in September. And then I go back, I went from October 1st, then I'll go till December 19th. And then I'm off till the new year. And then I start up again and go till May. Was it like literally like putting your skates down and like getting back to the books as soon as you got back from Montreal? Pretty much. I mean, I had an exam Tuesday morning and I had, yeah, I, oh, I drove home. I left uh, Montreal during halftime during Arch versus Victoria. And I got home around 1130. And I had clinical the next morning at 7am. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I drove seven and a half hours and got home late and then <laughs> went to school the next day. My, gosh. I was studying at our Airbnb in Montreal because I had an exam on Tuesday. That's real. I did this. I did the same thing in Seattle. We left before the after party in Seattle and came home and I had an exam on that Monday morning that I was actually late to. Do you ever have like any bruising in your classmates or like, or does everyone know that you're just a phenomenal role as every athlete? Superstar. They're like, oh, they're like, what is happening to you? I'm like, I came in with like a sprained ankle. I'm like limping in the classroom. They're all, they're all like, this is nuts. A couple of them like watched Montreal, mm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. They're just like, I don't, everyone just says like, I do not know how you do this. I'm like, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not think about it. Yeah. I can't Let's, think about it or else I'm going to die. I, don't tell I, me that. Exactly. <laughs> Let's, let's table much. that. Let's put a pin in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to keep going. Wow. And, and did you did you have trouble kind of like switching back and forth in terms of like this is my this is my nursing yes. school life. This is derby life. How did you handle that? It's it was definitely hard. And I know that there were weeks that I didn't so much focus on school 
and did derby, derby, derby. And I saw how it affected me. Like I wouldn't have time to study for a quiz and I bomb a quiz. And like, I don't do that. I just not, it's not me. So like it, I could tell where it would slip up. And if I was school, 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 I'd notice at derby, I'd be like, wait, I'm behind what? I just really had a hard time finding the full balance. Like there's no full balance. You can't mm-hmm. do those two things. It just too, too much. I, one thing was always suffering at the sake for the sake of the other. And I'm sure that, 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 yeah, I was going to say that must hurt. That must be like, ah. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel good. Uh-huh. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like a good teammate sometimes. And I didn't feel like I was pulling like my end of the bargain. And I also didn't feel like I was being like, I took a lot of, like a lot of things, sacrificed a lot of things to go to school. And I really didn't feel like I was holding up to that end of the bargain. Like I wasn't being my most productive. So How did you reconcile that? I didn't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I stopped playing roller derby or roller derby stopped Mm -hmm. is a big thing. I really couldn't. It was, I never found a a balance. I was always suffering on one end or the other. But props to you for recognizing that and for prioritizing. It It took a while to like come to that. And I'm like, okay, well, this is just what it has to be. Like the two cannot work. And especially all like work and everything aside, just I, if I get hit in the head again, I cannot endure that. I just did you can't take go another few months? Did you ever take a season off? I've never taken a full season off. No. So we're talking about like a decade's worth of derby. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's... I'd say six or seven out of those years, seven out of 10 was postseason. So it wasn't just until June and then roller derby doesn't matter anymore. It was going all the way to playoffs, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it's a lot, and especially in a sport where you're like, okay, we're going February and then we're going to end in November. And then you guys have two months off and we're going to get right back to it. Like it, it's, it's not feasible. And I feel like Derby's <laughs> like, like such a sport that it's such a, it's like any little inch that you give it, it'll take it. Like in terms of like yeah. time and resources and money, like there's, you yeah. know, like you're it's so you're so susceptible to it that you have to kind of like draw those boundaries. Otherwise, you don't have anything yeah, like, for oh, yourself. Have, yeah. Like, oh, I have two hours free on Sunday. I can absolutely take on that project that I have no <laughs> business saying yes to. Like, oh my, what? <laughs> no. Yeah. Totally. So and and so okay. So you know, obviously, well, what did you do to like recover from, from derby and from nursing? How did you like take time for yourself? Eagle I don't games? know. I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah, the Eagles, Sunday, <laughs> go birds. Um, <laughs> it's just another source of stress to be honest, but really like the good thing about the only good thing about having that commute is it's time to myself and it's time that I could listen to a podcast and, you know, on a bunch of different things. I don't really like, I don't listen to music all that time in the car, which is weird because I spend so much time in it, but I really just mostly podcast and I keep myself up to date on news and I stay informed and I just kind of just different interests in podcasts. So just that time to myself and just being like, this is my little moment of like meditation and Zen, even if it's driving was just nice to have. So it's like so small, but (laughs) it was just that little bit of quiet that I didn't, I couldn't be reading a book for school. I couldn't be thinking about roller derby. I couldn't be watching footage. I couldn't be doing anything like that. It was just quiet yeah it was that little time you've announced that you're going to be taking in what was your yeah (laughs) tell me how did you ultimately like pull the trigger and decide and you know what do you foresee for yourself and this pause really just thinking about how it I don't like like half-assing I don't like to be like half of a teammate or half of a student or half of anything like I don't like to be a little bit like, I just want to fully do things. And it's the hardest thing to realize that you can't do that because we so much want to give up all of ourselves so many things. 
but I really want to be a nurse and I want to be a great nurse and I want to be a great student. And that right now to me is the focus. So I know that roller derby will always be there, but I'm not like I'm 33. I'm not getting any younger. I have to get my life towards a point that I can, you know, do things like get to play roller derby or get to, you know, do other things that I love. So that is what really has to be my number one focus. And I feel like I may have put it off for a few years because I didn't want to not play roller derby anymore. And I like, I kind of regret that time that I didn't just walk away when I could have, but I have this opportunity now where I'm in it and I'm doing great. And I feel like to keep that momentum going forward is where I'm supposed to be. If I, if like down the road, if I want to play again, I know where to go. You know, I know the resources. I know what the, I don't know what level I want to play again. If I want to play again, there's a couple of things I don't know. So if I miss it, it'll be there. And that's the thing that like, I feel good. Like it makes me be like, oh, okay, no panic. <laughs> if I want to, I know it's going to be there. And I know there'll be a place. Do you feel like you're leaving on good terms, neutral terms? Yeah, I really do. I feel, I feel good. I feel like it's a, like a mutual, like a un- conscious uncoupling. <laughs> I feel like it's that, you know, I don't have any ill will. I'm, I'm not like, I'm like, oh, I hate this. Like I'm done. I'm finished. It's over. I never felt like that. I just felt like, oh, okay, good. Now I can do this for a minute. And like, if I want, again, I never feel like I'm like, can't go back or I don't, won't be welcome or anything like that. I just, right now I have to do this. So it's just nice knowing that it's there, you know, sure. and it's nice knowing I'll be able to watch tournaments and I'll be able to watch my team and I'll be able to see everyone do anything, everything. And, you know, if yeah. I want to, I can go. That's what makes it easy. Do you have any derby regret? You know, I got to do so many cool things and I got to skate with so many different teams and I really don't think there's a single thing I could have done differently or I wish I had done differently. I think everything turned out how it was supposed to. And I got to do so much cool stuff. So I don't really think so. No. I mean, I think I wish, I think I wish maybe I had been a little less like awkward and shy and like talked to more people and made like more friends, but I have enough, you know, I have like a lot of friends in a lot of different leagues, friendly with a lot of people. Maybe I wish I would have like reached out sooner, but you know, I'm fine with how it's. (laughs) So it goes. Yeah. And there's always, you know, I feel like Derby people are so friendly that there's always still the time. I mean, I know it's not the same as like being on a team with someone but I feel like it's really people are open I think that the prospect of making friends is a big draw to derby for people because you get you become adults it becomes like so weird to make new friends weirdest thing (laughs) and that's what like so many people talk about this not just in people in roller derby they talk about it in every avenue like how do you make friends as an adult yeah you know and this was the this is the perfect thing to do no for sure okay so you mentioned that you love podcasts do you have a favorite or what are your faves? Oh gosh. What do you listen oh, to? Oh, I listen to I oh my gosh. I love um Keep It on oh, yes. Media. So I love good. all the Cooking Media podcasts, but specifically Keep It is is my favorite. Um I'm really big into Las Culturistas. Let's see what else. Oh my god, I have a lineup for every day. Yes, uh, I love it. Yeah, uh, Urgent Care, Urgent Care with Micha Juhari and Jolton Booster just came out and it's really funny. So I I'm really into stand-up comedy too and all things comedy. So finding anything with the comics is just ace. So anything funny I can listen to. That's <laughs> Especially <awesome>. bad advice. <laughs> bad advice is for me. <laughs> I'm going to look 
look those up. I don't. They're really funny. Do you have any advice to impart to someone in Derby right now? What would it be? Or what would you wish someone had told you? What I wish someone had told me. It's not personal. <laughs> it's just roller derby. Mm. And I actually had a friend tell me two years ago, and I wish that I had known this. Like, so it's finally something I got told was that roller derby doesn't owe you anything. And like, that was a huge thing for me to hear that, that it really like it, it is what it is. And what happens happens. And it doesn't owe you anything at the end of the day. So just what you have is what you've got. <laughs> and I like, it sounds like kind of like, Oh, Jesus, but it really like helped perspective with me. Like it that, really helped me to see the game a little bit better. <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah, no, that's I'm like, you're thinking about it now. Wow. That's right. For sure. Shout out Professor Murder. Shout out. Who are your heroes speaking of? Do you have any sort of like mentors oh. or heroes that you can name? I mean, I really love like my teammates and my pack specifically. I really am so lucky to get to work with like Russian Bayou and Tramagachi and Jail Bars and you know we have like Reptar as our jam like we work with Reptar really well and we work with all our jammers but I really like working with them and I like that we have like I can I know what they're going to do and I know what they I can feel that like I can feel them you know what I mean and just mm. getting to work with them has and Diva as well like Diva's in our pack as well but like that pod has just been such a blessing to work with and it's been like the coolest coolest season to be with them so like this was that was like the hard thing was leaving uh, leaving them so those are my heroes like the, that group blue pack <laughs> yes so uh, blue pack 2019 hell yeah so why why give me some of the reasons like what did they what did they bring to the pack i mean it's just every like we started this joke pack of all trades and mm. like pack of all trades is it like every kind of mindset like athleticism strength smart like everyone on in the pack has something to offer and it's just that we all have a couple different things to bring to the table but when we work with them together i really think we are so much better as a, as a unit together than we are individually. And that's what's so nice. Like, it's just cohesion and respect is a huge thing. Like, everyone respects the shit out of each other. And it's just that feeling is excellent. And they make you feel like you can do anything which not every teammate can make you feel that way, but your little group and your pack is it, like, it's just so special to have that together. So I'm going to pursue this and press and like press on this a little bit, because I feel like this is something that unless you're in that pack and working with these people constantly, you never get that perspective. So I want to name all these people and I want you to give me like a couple adjectives so that the world okay. like sing their praises <laughs> so that I can. And then we're going to end like, think about what they say about you. So okay. you mentioned Russian Bayou. Strong, stable, smart, composed, and like lethal. Just sometimes she'll she'll get you on those hits that sweep right across, like right above your knees, and like good night. I have a video of her saved on my phone that I watch sometimes when it's like I've had a bad day, <laughs> and it's beautiful what she can do. Tramagachi. So speedy, so smart, quick, and just all everywhere you need her to be. And she is plays some of the best offense I've ever seen. Reptar. Fast, wily. She is my kryptonite. I can't ever catch her. When it's one-on-one -on -one and she's coming at me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I give up. Forget it. I, I retire. I'm done. I'm over. <laughs> 
she gets me and like she is what I have to like I want her to come at me all the time because she targets my my biggest weaknesses and I love that which is like what what, what would she target she has that last minute quick foot kind of thing where she you think you really think you got her and she's like the other way completely she's so good at evasive maneuvers and doing weird stuff with her body to like still stay on her feet and get around even if she doesn't land like she's in bounds like somehow she always stays in bounds which I do not like mind blown diva so strong hilarious and a dork so strong so composed excellent on the lines and kind of like you don't expect her to get there sometimes but you're like oh of course of course she's gonna get there of course she's gonna make it and like she'll just pop out of somewhere and all of a sudden have the jammer (laughs) you're like okay i didn't even see you coming how did you do that (laughs) jail bars so like all this body like she's like six feet tall i think she's like 5 10 or 5 11 i don't know but she's got all this body and like she just can get she can move it around so well and like really throw it in and just cover the lines awesome like and she's so smart too like it's another one like you just have like the smarts on smarts it's like that's great and now what would they say about you I think they would say I'm spicy (laughs) I think which means I think they know like like I don't know I'm spicy (laughs) I don't know how else to say it I've always got an answer. I've always got like something to say. You're not going to talk about my teammates. You're not going to say anything stupid about them. You're going to hear about it from me first. Like I don't let anyone talk shit. I don't like it. <laughs> but I, like, I don't know. I'm just spicy. <laughs> nice. so I know they would say that. I I know they will say I'm strong. Other than that, I'm not sure. But I know they'll say I'm spicy. And I know they'll say I'm strong. Excellent pack awareness. Knowing when's a bridge. When's it like... Oh. God, shout out to our coaches for making us do those drills all the time because that saved us so many times. Everybody has something different that they're bringing and they could be like everything that they're bringing is important and figuring out like how the packs work and like how a pack should look and what combination, like the recipe that you need to make it successful. Like knowing that I think is is so overlooked and people that are just like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know, like I don't think blocking is just like for people on a track. It's like leveraging everyone's strengths for sure. Yeah. Like it's great if you have three people that can play offense really well, but what happens when it's time to really hunker down a defense or if you have three braces, mm-hmm. like what are you going to do when you have, you know, like who's going to butt? Mm-hmm. So we have the perfect mix of utility players too, because a bunch of my people in my pack can play every, all different positions within the pack. Which is- and that was decided by like Philly coaching or just like feeling each other out. Like how does, how do those decisions yeah. come about? I think it's, a, it's a management decision. And I think we got polled also on like who we like working with. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like who we work well with, why we work well with them and that kind of thing and then they kind of started putting grouping everyone together Mm -hmm. and then like at least a month before our first game packs were set and they really pretty much stayed throughout the whole season I think like no one crossed over but I'm sure there's probably like some sort of like experimentation that must oh for sure yeah Yeah. and we're lucky because we had two captains we had captains in each pack and mm. captains that were jammers. So it was nice to have that view. And like your decade of Derby, what do you think have been like the most, I mean, this is, I don't want to like overwhelm this question. I don't want to <laughs> overwhelm you or this question, but wh- what have been the most significant changes for you? Or like, what have, what's been your takeaway? Do you, what do you see? How do you see Derby now that you've been in it for, for like 10 years? And where, and then like the, if you want to also answer like the inverse, like what would you like to see more of? Or what do you, where do you, what would you like to see it go in like another 10 years let's say I really didn't know what it could be I really had no idea that it was going to be you know travel literally around the world because like just to know those things like to go 
and play tournaments all over the country and then have to go to Spain and then do all these, you know, I didn't know it could be that. And I'm so grateful that I got to see like, even like the, some of the weirdest parts of this country that I've gotten to go to. I'm really grateful for that. And that was something I didn't expect to have. I would like to see more diversity in the sport. (laughs) I know that that's not an unpopular opinion, but it is very frustrating to see how undiverse roller derby is and especially at the top level it is just a bummer and i don't know how to fix that problem but i just feel like we're really it's just hard to be it's hard to exist in this sport (laughs) and it's not super friendly for a lot of people of color or people you know have different gender identities and i don't think it's always the best most welcoming space. I think I've been really lucky to feel only otherwise, but I know that other skaters have it very hard, way harder and way different. And I just wish zero skaters had to have it that way. So I would just like to see a little bit more diversity and a little more inclusion. And, you know, from the top down, it needs to be everywhere. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I would like to see come back or ever start. <laughs> no, and I'm thinking about the the game must be like a totally different one from the one you must have learned when you started in like basic training way back when, huh? Yeah, like knee starts <laughs> and <laughs> minors and like outside whiteboard. Oof. Like we were like, I, I remember saying that to someone. I was like, did you know there was used to be a, someone on the outside whose job it was to hold the whiteboard? with minors on it and they're like what are minors I'm like oh my god <laughs> no oh my goodness this was a whole different universe yeah all right well I'd like to wrap up by asking people for their favorite self-care tip and also like what they want to hold space for in terms of like be it an issue a cause anything that comes to mind if anything comes up to mind and also like MVPs and the MVP could be like a person a place a thing anything could be derby skating or non-skating related anything but what's your most Mm. valuable thing at the moment and feel free to answer in any respect and to any or all of the questions (laughs) okay um (laughs) well the biggest thing I would say for self-care is just to absolutely have no matter what amount of time, no matter what the limits are, how like inactive you are, just have some time for yourself. Either you can be taking a walk or working out or doing anything that you need to be doing, but have time by yourself, reflect on everything that's going on. And I feel like that's my biggest thing is that I need that kind of time for myself personally. MVP for 2019 for me is my girlfriend because the things that she dealt with and the things that she saw and had to listen for me, like especially these last like two months, Months, it I was an ass and it was so hard to get through and she really was there in every single aspect and just so supportive and you know it was just so great to have her so she is my MVP of the season <laughs> for sure awesome yeah. well thank you so much little loca um please don't be a stranger I'm not of gonna tell you to I come won't. back So Felicia, could you, I guess, start from the top and 
tell us how you were approached to participate in the documentary? So this is what actually happened. I saw the trailer in Atlanta at Skatathon a few years ago. I saw it. I cried because I felt like somebody was getting our story right in underground skating. I said it was beautiful. But, and I reached out to the girls. I was like, you know, the trailer was awesome. It's fantastic. I said, but my name is Felicia Reiner. I'm from Los Angeles. And the West Coast is, is always missed, missed or not represented correctly. Whenever there's roller skating movies or anything, we're not represented. And so we talked further and I gave them all these people up and down the coast to talk to. I was being filmed like everybody else. Um, initially, I was not a part of the main subjects. None of us were. It was other people at one time, but for whatever reason, it changed. We, the subjects had no control of. I want to, I really want to reiterate that. The subjects, me, Reggie, and Buddy mm-hmm. had no say <laughs> in making us the subjects of this film, contrary to popular belief. None of us had anything to do with the cutting, editing, and the storyline of the movie. We're just simply the subjects. We just show up when we're told to. I just made that clear. <laughs> Thank you. How long did they film you for? And when, more or less, was it? Man, I've been filming for maybe six years. Five, they, film, six years. they filmed you all for six years? Yeah, five, six years. And, and so there's like over 600 hours of footage. And there's so, there's so much footage left over that they're trying to figure out what they're going to do if they do anything with it anymore. But there is a so much footage left. It's crazy. They can make two, three more movies. They, so what, like around what time, what year did they film y'all? What is this, 2019? It's been a long time. Because London is not that little anymore. She's taller than me. Um, I wasn't in the initial filming. I didn't come into maybe two, three years into them filming. But it was a constant thing. And up until the end, I didn't know that I was the subject. I was just film like everybody else. So what you saw was like a like a preliminary like trailer or something that they just like I, screened or like so, a short. So what I initially saw was the trailer that everyone else saw at Skatathon. Mm-hmm. Then maybe a year or so before it was released, maybe a year, maybe I can think of was that I saw a rough cut that was totally different from what you all see. So, and then it changed again with the opening of Royal Wills coming back open. So it changed it again. So this movie has had so many changes that people really aren't aware of. People's like, is it ever going to come out? It's not going to come out. It's just people don't know what it takes to do a documentary. It's it's easier doing a feature film than a documentary. Literally documenting yes. <laughs> everything <laughs> in culture. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it, it, That's Wow. I've come to learn I'm so glad I'm the subject and, and not them because it's a lot. It's a lot. What was something that you learned from the documentary, from seeing the documentary, actually, now that you mentioned Ooh, it again? There was some, that's a good question. I, when it first came out, I asked that question. I was, like, I was able to answer, but it's been so many things that I've learned. It's very humbling. This journey has been very humbling. And to see that, again, looking at myself, reaffirming to myself that I'm okay. Because there's a backstory to that film. That just reminds me when I do watch 
watch it because I don't watch it as much anymore. I've seen it a million times. But the times I do see it, I always see something different and I always learn something different. But I'm also reminded that I'm okay. That's wonderful. And um, have you kept in touch with or have you spoken to uh, Reggie and Buddy recently? How are they doing? They're good. I just talked to Reggie maybe a week or so ago. But I haven't talked to him in a minute. But, you know, I always check on them. They're, they're good. Um, we all check on each other. We're like this big family now that no one can separate is we've really become a family unit from the cast to the directors we're all family now it's it, it was really a we really become our own little community is reggie still running the the skate nights in north carolina he's now in new york oh okay nadira um is in the military oh, okay gotcha did you know Reggie and Buddy before this documentary? I'm sure I mean, you people around, but I didn't know them as the family they are to me now. So what was your reaction to see yourself on screen and your story on screen? At Tribeca, where I saw with John Legend and everyone else. John Legend, the producer. Oh, yeah, totally. That's cool. John Legend's one of the EPs. I was having some surreal moments. Um <laughs> Because my kids look different than then. Um, the many different hairstyle changes you, you all saw. So many things were different I forgot about. Because we, we've been filming for so long. My requirement for allowing them to film me is that it would be authentic. So I wasn't stopping going to the beauty shop. I wasn't about to keep doing stuff, you know, clean up top part every day. I, I wasn't doing all that. You guys got a lot of raw moments. Like, all that was very authentic. Nothing was planned. It Cause I wasn't willing to do that. That would have been too much stress and too much of everything. So it, what you got was real and uncut. Just, y'all got the real deal. And I think it comes through because I feel like, I mean, all of the, the stories were, were moving, uh, seeing you and your kids, you know, go through that and like go to that rink and have those issues with the wheels or your son and, you know, having his issues with the law, all of that was really moving. Can you give us like an update on, I know you said it was a long time ago, but how are your kids and how is everyone? Well, everyone's amazing now. Uh, Since then, I have four amazing grandchildren. Shanna's a dad now. Um, We've added a few little people to the bunch, and they're amazing. They're adult, young adults. They're leading their own separate lives now, and I'm still mama, but I try to allow them to be the adults they are. And when I look at United States, I look at it from a different lens because it's such a different part in time. And like I said, London's taller than me now. You know, she's in her 10th grade year in high school. It's just surreal to watch it now because everything is so different. I don't work at that job anymore. Um, I don't live in that apartment anymore. (laughs) So yeah, but there were some beautiful moments and there were some real precious memories in that film. And to be able to carry that now through a lifetime and now that's a a movie that will be a roller skating history, that movie will never go away. It's pretty phenomenal. It's like a time capsule. Absolutely. Like Eight Wheels and the Soul Brother music. It was such a different era. And if you were born in around that time, you kind of kind of relate to, wow, that was then. And that was a great era. And now we have United States in this era. And a few years, going to be another film, you know, that's going to be after United States. You know what I mean? So it's all beautiful. What, would the, what were the responses of your kids and your family when they saw the documentary? My kids are kids. So they, they don't see what we see. They just like, you just see my, I need a haircut that day. Oh, did you see that? So their response is totally like the typical young adult response. I think it's kind of dope. One thing I love about them, I guess because they've been around the entertainment industry their all their lives. So their response is different than most would be. They're like, yeah, whatever. That was nothing. I'm just like, do you realize? 
like you on HBO? Like you don't like you're on HBO. Like <laughs> because they've well, been around it. They're staying humble. Never gets to the heads. I guess. <laughs> no, they're so like oh, that's cool. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think they'll get it when they get older. But now they're like. Oh, that was cool. You know, I said, do you realize you're in um, the second largest magazine in the world? Oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, what? That's awesome. And so what was the, fee- what, what, what kind of feedback have you gotten from, you know, strangers at screenings and stuff? Oh, man, I've gotten some amazing responses. People come up to me with tears in their eyes. Other single parents that understand raising kids by yourself, especially if they have multiple especially even if they've had kids in trouble. Like, you know, this, I can't believe, I couldn't have done them brave to tell that side of my life about my troubled son or my troubled daughter or my troubled self. And so people are genuinely excited that they didn't feel like they were alone in their journey of single parenthood or just being a, a woman and mother of color. So many different dynamics or just your kids, men saying, hey, if you need anything, I'm here. Or thank you for being that strong mom and being that example or so it's it's been a, a pretty amazing journey I still get those moments even at the rink sometimes I try to I try my best to be extremely regular because I'm just free it's not a big deal to me but to some people it is and when people like point at me and all then I can tell they're doing it I go up to them on purpose and hug them to let them know that I'm cool like I'm just free in this world when we're amongst us I'm just one of y'all I'm not being from United States like no this is my family like one guy I was in Seattle and at the end, he was like, can I just take a picture with you? I'm like, sure. He's like, I was so scared to say something. I'm like, bro, I am so cool like that. So I gave him a big old hug, you know, because I don't want people to feel that because that documentary was to show that I'm human just like you and you're okay. And even if life is happening for you, we're all humans. We all need each other. That is awesome. Did you find that your story resonated with a lot of people within skating? And because I know you've remained really active and are like an almost like an organizer and like a event organizer, right? Said similarly that your story resonated with them? Um, Absolutely. It's been positive for the most part. Of course, there's always, when, when it's something negative, I've had to learn how to adjust because it's not something that I'm used to. And now with this film in front of me, I was told by a very prominent person in this world, and I won't name her because I don't want to put her on the, on the spot. And her question to me, because I talked to her about the negative part that I get from the community. And um, she said, you didn't expect that? I said, maybe that's a naive part of me because I'm fighting for the community as at large, not just Los Angeles. It's about us from the North, South, East and West and beyond. So no, I didn't expect that from a community that I'm fighting for to keep the doors open to do what we all love to do. Yeah, that's a whole nother subject. <laughs> yeah, no, but say more. What kind of like negative blowback have you received from folks in the skate community? That people feel like it should have been them. Oh, okay. Um, so like envy. I got a lot of that. I got a lot of that, um, which is shocking to me. And I'm going to publicly say people that I rock with for years and I'm no longer friends with behind the film and it's heartbreaking. That's rough. It, it's it's heartbreaking because I didn't expect certain things from certain people. It's unfortunate. You know, a lot of times we're shunned still from the other roller skating communities. We're very shunned. We're, we don't matter. I would post on other roller skating sites that I don't want to mention a name. And they were like, we don't, they don't really count us and don't be posting the stuff about us because they don't care about us. 
Um, it's, I've gotten some nasty inboxes about posting about our culture of skating. And people have no idea how some of us are really fighting for us to be recognized globally because you see everybody else on the screen except for us. And they got eight wheels on just like us. But our style of skating is not recognized and the athleticism and the, oh my God, there's so much talent. It's, it's mind boggling. But a lot of times we don't get recognized where I feel it really should count. You know what I'm saying? So, but people don't know the fight that we try to get with, you know, try to get recognized by the RSA and to really get to have events where the, where the contest could be a $10,000 prize, $1,000 prize because they don't recognize us. It's pretty mind-boggling. So those are some of the reasons why when I get the flack from our community, those are the things that hurt the most because they have no idea the fight that we're fighting in the background that they have no idea about. It's more going in a circle for a few hours. It's more than that. And I I was born into this thing and I wasn't chosen because of that. But I was born into this game. My mom was one of the top DJs when I was born. My father was a floor guard. She's DJing the manager at the rink. I mean, there's some people asking me to get her to come DJ do a one night. And she's like, I'm good on y'all. Plus, I'm on vinyl. I don't want no computer. So, <laughs> you know. People don't understand, like, some people are really tied to this game. They're some of my OGs. I mean, they consider me an OG now, but the older OGs, like, they remember me in my mother's womb. Like, this thing runs deep for me. I didn't just start skating five, ten years ago and think I'm running something. And I still don't run anything. If somebody comes to L.A., I don't feel like I need to always be involved in something. Now, if I get the call... That's one thing, but it's not imperative. You call Felicia, right? Like, I don't own a ring. I don't, like, I may have a little influence, but there's many other people that can do just what I do. So it's just, like, interesting, I'll say. <laughs> no, I gotcha. You're an L.A. native. And what's the state of skating and rink life in L.A. in 2019, you know, since the documentary has come out? Well, Chennai LA has changed drastically since Gate Depot closed and then Warden Wills was closed for a minute. So it's very different now. A lot of what you see out of town is not what we would consider authentic LA skating, but I'm clear in that the more things change, the more they stay the same. So you have to evolve with the time. Things just can't stay the same all the time. Um, so it's changing and evolving um, in LA. So now you have most of the super OGs, we call the triple OGs, they go to skate out in Northridge. And then you have some of the double OGs and triple OGs skate in Fountain Valley on Thursday. And then you have um, people that skate in Chino. Uh, we have a new guy in the roller skating world. His name is Mike Smooth. So these are, these are like neighborhoods or like communities in, in and around LA? For us yeah, out, outsiders. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Those no worries. These are very far apart from each other. I gotcha. So we have, we have, of course, we still have DJ Bird, who's legendary in LA. We have DJ Mark, who came up under Bird, who's just as phenomenal. Then we have DJ Mike Smooth. He's new to our community, I would say about two, three years in, but he's come and absorbed this community and he is doing phenomenal with keeping the, the future of roller skating going because. He doesn't have an under 400 every Sunday in Chino. So thank God roller skating is still alive and well in L.A. 
even with, you know, Warren and Lewis still having problems. Um, they're still trying to keep the doors open because the landlord still doesn't want it there. So they're still fighting to keep the doors open there. They're still in court all the time behind Gordon on Wheels. But we're still fortunate to have DJs that are competent and know the different realms because you have different, every ring has their specialty. And those DJs are capable of carrying the Royals Heading community. That's why we got to keep our nose clean so we don't use, lose another one because it's, it's a lot going on across the country. It's not just us that was potentially losing rinks. It's going on everywhere. And that's what that was going to be my follow-up question because you're such a um, well-known person and prominent figure in the community. Can you tell me what you've noticed around the country in your travels? Just what I said, a lot of rinks are closing or the life of roller skating has died drastically for one reason or another, but we're all responsible to keep it alive. I know... You go to a skate party, soul skate, uh, you go to Skate-a-thon, you go to RITC. You're going to have the time of your life those weekends, but what are we doing during the week to keep those stores open? Because those rings can't survive off of one weekend. And that's the part that we forget. Um, so we still got to keep these doors open so that we will have somewhere to skate when we do get to those cities or just period. Um, so, Every city is responsible for their own territory. Um, case in point, I'm going to D.C. Um, the mayor of D.C. saw the United States documentary, and she wanted she came to our to us and wanted to go well, to Toledo because I, I wasn't at the screening she was at. They wanted me there, but I was on tour in, in another city. So Toledo went for us, and she wanted to have an event, which was being born for the last year or so called Capital Skate Fest. So Salida is superb in marketing. That is her thing. She gets those corporate sponsors. That girl does the doggone thing for our community. And Who is this? Salida Coleman Pierce. And she is? She's one of the associate producers on oh, United gotcha. States. Okay. I was only oh, familiar yeah. with the director's names. Yeah. So. Sorry about that. Salida <laughs> gotcha. Coleman Pierce is one of the associate producers for United States. And okay. the mayor talked to her about doing it while we getting an event based on what she saw in the United States because D.C. doesn't have rinks, so she wants to do something in D.C., which brought about the birth of the Capital Skate Fest. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so you had mentioned DJs uh, earlier. So the way that it works is that the DJs are the people that kind of organize the skate nights and the events? No. and Or, yeah, explain that to the me, DJs please. Normally, the DJs are hired. Mm. Um, you have different coordinators in different cities who do the hiring to who they want to bring for their events. So the DJs do not coordinate. They're hired uh, depending on the needs and the wants of the team that's coordinating the event. And a good national DJ like Arson, Soul, Brian, um, Joe Bowen. You have those gentlemen. L, let me not leave out my girl in Chicago. Tone. <laughs> the women be in that thing too. Um, on a national event, they'll know how to read the floor. Um, they'll know who's there. They'll know what type of music to play. Most skaters at a national event will know when what a certain song comes on. They'll know what style that is. And so it, it's it's kind of like it's like a beautiful marriage because you already know each other. Um, if you're especially if you're a regular traveler, you already know. But DJs play a very prominent part in a skate party. They have to know the region. They have to you know kind of know what they're doing in order to be successful 
And those people that I named are very good at what they do, amongst others. But <laughs> so if someone wanted to find out about what the skate happenings and the scene in their city and, you know, around in other cities, what do you recommend as a good resource? I recommend skategroove.com. Skategroove? Skategroove.com. Just like I said, it's skategroove.com. We'll have the majority of the parties that are happening in the different cities each month. Skategroove.com is where you go. Dope. Do you have a favorite skate song or a skate DJ? My favorite DJ is, I have so many. If I say one, they're all going to kill me. Because <laughs> they, they all have something special that I like or play a song that I want them to play. So I love them all. <laughs> Can't you? That's a answer for me. That's a answer. Because my little they shout me out. They love on me. If I ask for something, a song, they'll give it to me. So I love everybody. That's safe. That's a safe answer. Um, I love to swallow up. People see me. I know that's not the right, the, not the name of it, but it's, it may be a million people behind me, but I won't know because when that song come on or Hey Hey comes on, oh, I'm in. <laughs> so People See Me or Hey Hey are your songs? Yes, 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 yes. Dope. Yes, and if and if you could skate with anyone alive or past, who would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Because whoever I want to skate with, I skate with. So, <laughs> and they're most like my brothers. So I, I've been fortunate to skate with a lot of the legends. The only one I have not skated with in length is Bill Butler, who I love dearly. You have on the West Coast. I'm having a brain freeze right now. He's going to kill me when I see him this weekend. But we have our own Bill Butler on the West Coast. But I've been very fortunate to skate with everybody I want to skate with. And I was able to hang. Now, these these knees are getting a little old. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff, middle stuff I used to do, I just can't do it anymore. But And that's how you encourage the future. And my son, Shannon, is a phenomenal skater. So I just about look at him. You see me, you see him. <laughs> He's a phenomenal, phenomenal skater. Um, London is a good skater too. My other kids could take it or leave it, but them two still love to skate on a regular. What do they, are they, do they have any sort of choice moves or signature moves? London likes to skate Chicago style, which is the oddest thing in the world because we're on the little bitty wheels, but she still does her Chicago thing. And Shannon, she's all over the place. He does it, whatever he feels like doing. He's good. So cool. What is your favorite self-care tip? Self-care tip that I don't do is rest, sleep. It's necessary. Um, I just had a recent hospital scare. I think my body was just tired. You eat good and you rest. It's very important. You have to sleep. If you don't get sleep, you can't function. It's just impossible. Just rest and take care of yourself. Good. Thank you. I'm, are you feeling better? Are you doing better from your, your scare? Oh, Oh, yeah, I'm much better. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Sorry to hear that. All right. And what's something, what is something that we should care about? What's the tip that you, something that you want to tip us on to that we should care about? Each other. This journey with United States, um, if I could be transparent, I, I normally don't like being as transparent, but I'm going to be. When United States came out, you would have thought that I was happy. At first, I was about the first few hours. Then I was in a depression because the crab barrel syndrome is real in our community. And I've always been a cheerleader for our community. And it was painful for me to go through. I still deal with it. 
um, losing friendships just because I was in the film. That's to help us all. And I still cheerlead for them because in their own right, they're dope in their own right. And But to love one another genuinely. We use that word skate fam so loosely, but I didn't really feel like I had a whole lot from our community when the film came out. And that bothered me drastically. And that's, I'm being so transparent now. <laughs> no, I but hear you. I think it's necessary for us as a community. We're even going through it with doing the DC thing because I'm not from DC. It's the craziest thing when this whole project for DC was to get a rink back in their their city. Technically, it doesn't affect me, but it affects my community. So if my persona can help or the film I'm in can help get a rink back in the city, that's the whole purpose of, of United Skates. And I want people to think about the word United Skates. We want to be united. It's not about Felicia Wright. It's not about Reggie. It's not about anybody but the community at large. But if our persona can help make a difference and do some great, give some great opportunities and to make people know that we're here, I'm with it. So again, my my biggest thing, my biggest thing is to hope that we would love on each other more and support each other more because everybody has something beautiful to bring to this thing called roller skating. I mean, the talent is unmatched. The talent is unmatched. I still be like, you know, by now you think I'm kind of over it, but some things happen. I still be like, that was dope as hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Underground roller skating matters. That is corny as hell, but underground roller skating matters. And my skate family, friend of foe, I still love them. And we got to love the skate real good, bad and indifferent. And I love them through it. And I'm going to even keep pressing for our community to be recognized, period, the end. I want to thank you for all that you do and for sharing your stories. and open up your doors with, for the, with the filmmakers and, you know, just being so candid and transparent there and here now. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I feel like I can safely say that most people do too out there, but you know, always like the squeakiest wheels, right? Get the attention. No. And I feel like I I totally hear you. Like, you know, shine theory is a thing. If you shine, I shine. And like, it's all about the community at the end of the day. Absolutely. And saving this beautiful culture and this beautiful community. If anything, if that's the one takeaway that we should take away from the documentary is just how beautiful and vibrant and alive roller skate culture is. Yes. Because you guys are beautiful people. No matter what you say, how you feel, the end of the day, everybody wants to be recognized. Everybody wants to be affirmed. I don't care what you say. I don't need that. You are alive in the pit of hell. Everybody wants that. And whether you rock with me or not, if I can affirm you with a check or or with notoriety, I'm going to do it. Why? Because you're from my community. That's like a family. Your brothers and sisters get on your nerves, but somebody else coming there, you're going to let them get to them because that's your brother and sister, right? Yeah. Same thing, same thing with me. This community has been my entire life. And of course, I have a lot like outside of here. I still sing. I still do background singing. I still manage people. I still do other stuff outside of roller skating. But everyone that knows me knows from my job to <laughs> everybody know where you skating that tonight. Where you going now? Where you, you getting on the plane? Where you going now? And they know what's to skate. So if I do something, is there, is there a rink nearby? <laughs> like everyone knows that. I just hope that all the work that we've put out and, and the things we've exposed have not been in vain. And that if someone takes something from the film that's positive, if one person is touched by that film, I'm good. My last question is, I like to always ask my guests to name an MVP. And that could be a person, place, cause, business, organization, and it could be skate or non-skating related, but just someone who's your most valuable player. Hmm. 
this is going to be cliche-ish, but it's true. My kids. Okay. Uh, before I had kids, I lived real reckless and just didn't care. So, I, and they're all kind of different shades. So I call them my lifesavers because they came in at different times in my life. And I look back at the different times when they came, they were necessary because I didn't want no kids at all. I was very much against kids because my friends had kids when we were younger, so I was not interested. But they all came in my life at just the right time. So I call them my lifesavers. So it's my kids. I love that. What are their ages? Ooh, London's 15 now. <laughs> um, Lawrence is 19. Stacey is 20. Shannon's 21. And Sierra's 25. Wow. I love it. They're all in the LA area? Yes. Everyone's close by now. All right, folks, well, there you have it. Holding Space with Magical Wheelism is available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Help the pod grow by subscribing and sharing it with friends. Rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts also helps others find us. Follow the pod on Instagram at Holding Space with Magic Pod. Intro and outro music is by Sun Searcher. The song is called Latin Rhythm. And the cover photo is by James Corbett of Epic Life Images. Find him at Epic Life Images on Instagram. See you next time. Bye.